You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast live at Connect Tech 2022. My name is Rob O'Sell, and I am an architect at This.Labs. My co-host today is... Jesse Tomshock. I am also an architect at This.Labs. All right, and today we're going to be talking about CI/CD systems, mentoring, and all related topics with Jeremy Meese. Jeremy is a director of DevRel and community at Circle CI, formerly at Solace, Auth0, and XDA. Jeremy, how you doing? Oh, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Now, we like to ask people, since we're here at Connect Tech, have you been able to get to many events since things have started to open up again? Uh, I have been to, uh, I think at last count, probably 25 or 30 events over the last year. Wow! Uh, from this point, uh, so from September of last year, uh, I'd have to go back and get the exact count, but yeah, it's been over, it's been close to probably 30 events in the last year. Do you live in a van? Uh, down by the river. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's just it's been wild. Um, they came back and you know for there was a trickle of them uh, through the you know end of last year and then starting Feb- late February all of a sudden boom they were they were in and so I you know had was like I'd miss it so much let's let's do it so I went you know probably over indexed I definitely it wasn't <laughs> no, there's no probably I definitely over indexed on yeah. let's just submit to everything. Uh, and just started, you know, hitting the road again. My, me and my team, and did a, sponsored a bunch of events, and, and did you know a bunch of talks at them. And so, yeah, it's it's been a very busy, uh, very busy schedule. But this is my next to last event here at Connect Tech. Uh, Going to be at wow. Modern Front Ends next week. Okay. And then after that, I am done until probably February. So I'm I'm extremely ready for that. That's yeah, I bet yeah. <laughs> when, the, when the Marriott, when you check into Marriott, and the. Uh, uh, the, the concierge, you know, the person at the front desk checking you in comments and kind of jokes about the fact that your bed at home probably misses you. That oh, might be a clue. Yeah. That, yeah it's <laughs> probably a sign. Stay at home. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's interesting. I mean, you're probably the most qualified person then to answer this, but what have you noticed as the differences of events now, sort of uh, as we're on this, this end of the pandemic versus before? I mean, I'll tell you what, I, we were working at a table out front. And I really felt that like in 2019 and before, people had gotten very skilled at kind of swooping by and grabbing some of the merch off the table while kind of avoiding eye contact. But now people are actually coming up and they really just want to talk. Like people are so excited to be back at events. Is, is that something you've noticed? Absolutely. I, it's, it's been interesting, like being able to see it from both like concert goer, uh, but also like sponsoring events. And so being at booths, uh, you know, over the last you know, year, I guess year and a half almost, uh, is people are more, I mean, some of it is missing, like the early, early days, man, missed that, you know, personal, person to person interaction. And, and even with, you know, social distancing and masking, um, there were still a lot of people that come by booths, very intentional conversations, uh, that you, you know, like you, to your point, like you just didn't have that. Uh, and so that was one of the biggest things noticed. I think over the last, uh, I guess really this year, probably the last six, nine months, uh, have started to see a little bit more of a return to some of that where it's, okay, we've, especially if it's an area that's had a lot of events, like Atlanta's had a lot of events over the last uh, year. Um, and so I think the events that I've seen, I've been to Atlanta a lot this last year. And so I think there's some of that is people are, okay, now I'm ready to go back to 
things at normal, but there is still more booth interaction mm-hmm. than I've experienced. And even as a then as a concert a concert conference attender, um, going and you know stopping at the booths and having that conversation. What do you do? Tell me about what you, without the um, you know. Oh, I'm, they must think I'm only here for the swag. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. To, and you see a little bit more. They they you know people behind that booth or behind the table or whatever that is uh kind of oh you know brighten up like hey yeah i'd love to talk to you so there's it's kind of a two-way street uh i think it's that's been a a change i think it's as conferences are getting more um seeing more and more uh like a semi-return to normal Mm -hmm. numbers yeah uh i think that's going to be really interesting to see if if that changes any over the next price year I heard from a lot of people, too, that Europe seems to be a little bit ahead of America so far as far as reopening, kind of things getting back up to speed. So I think that just bodes well, I mean, yeah. you know, for, for events that are hosting in, in the United States. If you go to your favorite conference here coming up and it seems a little smaller than usual, then it seems like things are coming back. Just the U.S., I've heard, is just a little bit lagged behind uh, other yeah, areas of the world. And it's it, one of the things I've, I've talked to a bunch of, like, conference organizers, and they're all saying, like, if it's a... if if it's a first event after the pandemic time um, of you know, lockdown and nothing happening, uh, it's about a 40 to 60% of attendance from that last time in person. But if it's like that second time in person, so events that, you know, it's the, like for instance, Render last year, Render was pretty much the first event in, camp, in uh, uh, the US mm-hmm. that had, uh, that was back. And so they, you know, had 300 some people. Uh, but then this year they had you know uh, fourteen hundred. Yeah. So yeah. there's they're seeing a re- people are seeing a return on like that second run of an event. It's returned to kind of a um, relatively similar to what they had the last time, and so just seeing some growth on that. But the first time back has been slow. But but Europe, yeah, you're right, is is definitely kind of on more of a, a leg up on that. Well, great. Well, we know that one of the topics that you were talking about here was about CI/CD, and this might seem natural based on your position, but uh, sort of as a first topic, you know, when you're giving workshops on CI/CD or giving talks on it, do you find that most people are approaching that from the introductory level? Like, uh, we had a guy that set this up at a team, but now I have to do it. Or do you find that people are becoming more advanced with it? Like, where is the community based on kind of what you interact with? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think there's in, in some ways, it, it depends on the uh, the scope of you know if we think about talks, conference, you know, at conferences, workshops. Kind of depends on the scope of that event. Um, if it's more of a like uh, web event and you see you know like more front end kind of focus, you do see, do see a lot of people that aren't as familiar with it, or it is that situation. Hey, yeah, so and so set this up. It just runs. We don't. I mean, if if it breaks, we kind of think we know what we're supposed to do, but it, it's there. Uh, we see some of that. Uh, but then, you know, you get to be maybe some of those more uh, kind of multidiscipline uh, into like the DevOps. It's a lot more of a, hey, we're more familiar with this, we're, we're doing it. So it's, it's kind of all over the board. Um, but I, I like to kind of, in, in any of the talks I give, kind of just give that basic, all right, you know, here's what DevOps is, here's what CICD is, okay, now let's let's move on. And so it, it always tends to um, really kind of kind of fit well and see a lot of um, people starting to definitely recognize that, you know, CICD is a, uh, anymore it's table stakes for a development team for a company. Like it's, it's absolutely necessary in order to put you into high performing teams and into what really makes, you know, 
potentially that differentiator between you and your competition. So. You know, it's funny because we hear a lot um, with front-end frameworks, you know, about a JavaScript fatigue. Every time you turn around, there's a new uh, a framework. I feel like that happened a little bit with backend too. Backend used to act like they were so stable, <laughs> and I lived when monoliths turned into microservices turned into serverless seemingly overnight twice. Yep. Um, so I think every sort of industry, every area has this, but kind of in the realm of continuous integration, continuous delivery, I've seen a lot of tools which have been super exciting sort of pop up. Some people are just using GitHub Actions or serverless or you know CDK scripts. You've kind of seen some of this stuff get into the code. Um, there's any number of additional ones, of course, as well. How do you feel about kind of the options and the choices that people have now with these technology sets? And you know, how do people navigate that? Is it, is it just based on preference? Is there a strong pecking order? Is there based on certain types of scale or properties? Uh, I think, I mean, the, the, the typical DevOps answer is it, it depends. Right, of course, yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the typical program answer. It, oh, sure, we'll go with that too. Uh, Thanks for being it, here for this podcast. Yeah, we'll see done. you next You know, great, yeah. <laughs> Be ready for the B-roll. And remember, uh, it depends. It depends. Depends. Uh, <laughs> depending on what your, uh, like how far along you are in your technology adoption or even in your automation um, scheme within your, your like pipelines, uh, your whole development pipeline from you know start to finish. And if you think about the SDLC, really just this constant thing, depending on where you are in like adopting that, I think you're, you're a little bit more, um, ready to try new things or to be really settled in. You know what, we're, we found what works and we're gonna stick with it. Uh, I think the challenge for a lot of companies is understanding that it's it's not one tool that's going to get you to that. Mm -hmm. uh, this whole thing yeah. of like, hey, there's just one platform you need to do whatever it is, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, because, I mean, especially if you're gonna call yourself like a, a DevOps platform or DevOps tool chain or that is, DevOps is not about that. It's not. It's not about the tools. It's about the people. It's about culture. It's yeah. about making sure that you're you're putting in place all the right processes and procedures and automation, so that your teams can be successful and that you can, you know, have in place all of the foundations for continuous integration, continuous delivery, continuous deployment. All of those things that are the core of what why DevOps became what DevOps was was this. Let's we have to get to here, but we have to start with the people. So companies that really understand that and start with, you know, we need to figure out small and then, you know, start, start small and then build that into other areas of the company, I think are really, become really successful. Those that just try and find a, um, a one size fits all solution, uh, especially for something like, like DevOps overall that encompasses everything, both front end, back end, all of that. Um, there is no one size fits all. And anybody that, you know, my friend Maddie Stratton likes to say like, you can't buy DevOps, but I'll mm -hmm. sell it to you. Mm -hmm. Is that you could? There's somebody out there that's just gonna sell it, sell you this this thing that ultimately it's it's not what you want. So. It's interesting. the The idea of DevOps is something that came up for many many years. There was this idea that you know someone in the team or there was a group of DevOps that would sort of facilitate and help put this sort of, you know, as a front-end engineer, help facilitate and put your sort of, your pipeline together and connect you. You know, I always called the, the DevOps group the, the glue people. Mm -hmm. This sort of, they seeped in between everything and sort of held it together. And they're like, oh, like a like an SRE. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, we just hand it to them to hold. Like, <laughs> like we just sit on top of the, the SRE's like a table. Like, but they, they're, the DevOps person is so intricate into like my, like they, 
need to understand like my webpack raw like mm. not configure it themselves but like hey this is what i'm doing this is the output to this destination this other thing lately recently with like you know nellify and Vercel and sort of like the the one touch deploy and the preview branches is like table stakes like you know being able to do these things like devops i feel has been absorbed again because we we for a while we, we dedicated you know we when I started there, like there was a guy, there was one person on the team that had to do it. And it was like, did you draw the short straw? That's right. Cause that's you. And then we're like, this is a dedicated job. And we got people for that. And now I feel like I don't run into a lot of DevOps groups anymore. Like all developers are DevOps people. And it's like, mm, are they though? Because we're back to the point where it's like, sucker, you're in charge. Right. Well, and that was the, that's like, you know, we go back to 2007 when, you know, um, John Alsbaugh and um, I forget who the other person was off the top of my head. It'll come to me, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, when at VelocityConf back in 2007, like this idea that getting frustrated with this whole, let's just throw it over the wall and it's your, your problem, not mine. It's your systems, not my code. Like that type of an idea alienates, it creates more silos and then you can't, function is that you, it, it creates more issues. Um, I think in, you know, Gene, Gene Kim's uh, Uniform Project and, um, you know, both of those books that he did really emphasize this thing, like, it can't be just one person. Because yeah. if it's one person, then that's a, that's a failure point. Then that means, not, you know, he, they're sick, what are you going to do? And right. so there is kind of this piece of, um, you know, that person or that, that team needs to kind of be there, but it's it, in many ways it really has to be composed of people that are, are experienced and working on both sides. So that everybody, you know, it's about communication. Setting that communication back and forth and making sure that, um, so, you know, the team, your ops teams knows what your dev team is working on and back and forth and they had, they're all participating at the table to deliver something. It's not just, hey, I'm done, you go deal with it. And so. I completely agree that devs, you know, at this point are like, I don't want to have to deal with the ops side. And ops are like, I don't want to have to deal with the dev side. And that's okay. But you got to communicate. And you got, and many times it is really that, you know, whether it's a person or a team that kind of sits there and, and helps facilitate, here's how we're going to go deploy this. So in some companies, it is that CI CD engineer, or it's a DevOps engineer. And if, you know, like those titles for a while were, were definitely panned as like, okay, come on, that's ridiculous. But if it, because often it would be is like, oh, we're just gonna give it to that DevOps engineer and they're gonna take care of everything for us. Like to, to check box. If, if, if that's where you're at, then you're almost failing your company. But if it become, comes out of, if that role comes out of who you are as a company and the things you're already doing and you recognize that we're already kind of doing these things, but here's our missing piece, then great, but not a one size fits all kind of thing. So you're, the companies have got to kind of understand and the teams have all got to communicate, but it, it comes down, still DevOps is still extremely important. Yeah, and I think the part of DevOps that, that requires the vast amount of communication is, is like you said, it's not a single tool. It is a amalgamation of tons of code and input and projects and repos and then infrastructure and then bundles and then outputs and telemetrics yep. and analytics and like it just blurts into so many pieces it's like how do you keep how, like beyond the communication it's like how do you keep up to speed with like hey we're gonna upgrade our webpack and like we've we've got to change the bundle size and we need to like 
the the cloud you know it's not the cache needs to get broken when this builds mm -hmm. and like devops doesn't care like when it builds why would i like like that communication is so vital and you've got so many pieces coming in how do you organize them all without like a you know without a without a jira board of death like how do you get those in front of you and understand is it, is it just a matter of sitting in a room together with teams because like i worked at a company for many years and i never met physically any ops person they were like this amalgamation They're, they come out when you say their names three times they come out of the server this room so the, weird you know, big haze that comes out and yeah yeah it, there is i mean a lot of teams do it different ways um you can have that hey we're going to start off our sprint so everybody's going to be involved and we're going to you know plan this out you can have that piece um you can have like you visualizing your your pipelines um, whether it be through your CI/CD that does everything from once you've built it, now you push it, and now it it does the the testing, and then it does the the pre-deploy process. Like you have everything that you're able to visualize it, and you know, like there's ways of doing it, but it does still come down to communication. You got to have some whether that's a project manager, whether whatever that is, has got to help everybody know what's going on. So there's run books. There's you know great documentation. All that stuff has to be updated so that you can interchange any person and they know they can step right on in and know what needs to happen with you know whatever that is. So, so communication and runbooks are important. Why are we still using YAML files? Because what else are you going to yell at? We have a shirt that's YAML and it's yelling at my laptop. Is is how that's, you break it down? That's fair. Um, I mean. The reality is, like, you have other tools that come out there that's like, hey, we can do it different ways. YAML's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's structured, you know? It, <laughs> yes, it, it can be a pain. You have that one trailing space you didn't know was there, uh, or, oh, no, I tabbed too far, like, yeah. But that's just the same as, you know, in JavaScript, or in Java, or, you know, anything else that you, you know, got something out of spite, that, that closing semicolon that you forgot to put in that blows everything in. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, I don't know, my YAML's like, not the problem. I can lint that file and it'll be like, hey, this this red squiggly line is totally out of place. <laughs> like, I haven't found a good linter for YAML yet. So if you've got it's, one, we'll put so it in funny. the show it's, notes. It's becoming like a, a tab spaces type of thing because for every person that I hear that's like, tabs. how have we not invented something other than YAML? Tabs. <laughs> the, you know, there is that person that just loves it. That absolutely embraces it. I don't know where I fall on it. I think it's convenient. I don't know. I think any time that you have pushed that configuration file only to get invalid YAML tag, and you've done that a number of times, like, I know which side you fall on. Like, this, this is not any better than what I had yeah. last time. That's why, like, I mean, not to, not to uh, shill it here, but, like, we have the local side of that. That before you even push it, you can you know run our you know CLI, and boom, now you know it, did the YAML file is it valid? Is it not? Have, That's really have all. Have VS Code. Yeah, we have VS Code extension now that will show you whether oh, you know whether or not it's it's formatted correctly. So you know, in, in it, whether it's our tool or something else, there's plenty of those out there. Okay, but then I still, just need to find one because yes. I I have still like. But it still is a pain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm just happy that like I just want the feedback cycle to yes. come way down. Well, like, fail, fail fast, fail often. Yeah, like that's the that is the core though. What you just said, that's the core of what continuous integration is. Yeah, is it, it, the sooner you can get a signal that something failed, the sooner you can fix it, 
and the sooner you can get it out there so that your customers don't see it. Like that is, so yeah. whether that's your YAML, whether that's, you know, the Coke that doesn't want to come out of the container. Like, <laughs> yeah. The sooner you can get to that, better off everyone's going to be. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting because, I, you know, amongst continuous integration, continuous delivery, I don't think either one of them is easy. But I think in some ways people are maybe more comfortable with CI because there's tooling, there's systems for it. The delivery part often tangles so tightly with processes and broken business uh, directives. You know, I've, I've worked on teams where we just couldn't release things faster than once a month or sometimes even once a quarter because business needed sign-offs by certain stakeholders and testers had to have certain rounds on it and bring in certain vendors for analysis. And so how do, you, how do teams have the right kind of conversations to start cutting that down? Because, you know, I'm reading online, you know, healthy teams are able to get code from code base to production in 15 minutes. And I mean, to most people listening to this, they think, okay, that's a great buzzword. Nobody <laughs> really does that, but people do. Um, and, yeah. and I think process is a hard thing to break through because there's nothing you can NPM install to fix business process. <laughs> no matter how no matter how <laughs> often they tell you you can, yeah. you can't. Um, that's a great question. The I'd love to point to the fact that like, if there are blockers in your pipeline that come down to just somebody saying yes or no, yeah. um, then it, and, and you'd have to wait that long to get, you know, months to get to that piece, then it, number one, that's definitely a broken process. Mm -hmm. But number two, probably get them involved a little earlier. Uh, if you know something's coming, don't wait until, all right, we're ready to go push list. Let's go get the, the, get somebody to look at it. Like that's part of the idea of like testing as part of your continuous integration process mm -hmm. is you're testing, you're writing the test so that they can be as automated as possible. Mm -hmm. Yes. You might have to have somebody that reviews those final results, but if you've done any, you've automated everything possible before that sign off, then that means that they've been in part of that process to automate. And so it's trusting the results. And so if you if you can get to recognize where all of those blockers are, get them involved earlier to be a part of like, how can we get this so that you know that if it passed, it's success, that that's gonna be correct. Start there, get them involved earlier yeah. uh, so that they're not waiting and wait, you're not waiting. Like when I was at, I spent you know, 11 years at Sprint, we also call it survived 11 years <laughs> at Sprint. Fair. Uh, and like I was involved in probably five or six um, billing system projects that would take two to three years to do. Uh, and halfway through, they were already deciding that it, that wasn't gonna work and they were gonna have to do a new one. But they wouldn't stop. They would just continue, let that run and start the new project for the new one that was gonna happen. So every year and a half, there's a new billing system rolling out highly inefficient and all somebody had to do is say stop <laughs> this we can't but nope can't do that because you know budgets so are allocated yeah it's, it's that whole broken way of doing things um, and so uh, all the money wasted like just ridiculous and so like the sooner you can get to that feedback uh, the red green you know whatever way yeah, you want to oh, do yeah, it yeah. the sooner you can get to that the better off you're going to be yeah it's just it's so funny because it is such an exciting idea and I think people understand it and they agree with it but they almost can't see it. It feels fake. Um, they like, oh, of course Facebook can do it. Of course Google can do it. But it's me and two devs 
in you know in this this one little shop in the middle of wherever and it's like that's not realistic for us because but, but it is many, like in, it, it, absolutely it is. in many yeah. ways it's it's even easier if you, <laughs> right. if you under if you even spend a t- you know a fraction of a day looking at for instance Kubernetes documentation and realize that you know that came from Google and Google can do this as big as they are you probably number one a small shop don't a don't need Kubernetes. <laughs> um, but number B, number B. But secondly, like you're in a situation where you can be so much more nimble. Yeah. You can make that decision quicker. You don't have the huge build times because you're not building a huge monolith. You're building a website, or mm-hmm. you're building a, a basic tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever your product is, guarantee it's not as big as Google Search. Right. Yeah. So it, you can do this. Yeah. Because you're smaller, you're nimble, so it, it, you're in a much better situation. So you should be doing this from the beginning, not from oh, we're now we're grown, now we're going to add this, add it in. Right, and then it's pretty tough. Yeah. Well, listen, I know another one of the topics that you're talking about here on the at the conference is mentorship, and I, I love this pitch from the from the synopsis. <laughs> so uh, the question that is being raised is how really important are mentorship and documentation to the survival of civilization? So I guess. Um, quickly at the beginning, how really important are they? Uh, they are they are very important, but not the ways we think. Oh, interesting. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the premise of the talk is, is, is this idea that we tend to be, I mean, I know myself, uh, I am enamored with uh, apocalyptic, end of world, like, shows. Love yep. those, mo- love those I, movies. Love those movies. Like, yeah. come out, like, the books... The movies, the TV shows, the series, some have gone on longer than they should have. There Others go, yeah. were like a flash in the pan that should have gone longer. Like, you could have swapped them, it'd probably been better. But they all kind of go with this idea of like, if the world ends, what is humanity going to do? What are the decisions they're going to make? And can will they survive? And so I kind of approach, approach it from the, the viewing kind of what brought us to where we are. Uh, we've had everything from you know, had the the oral tradition, um, you had orality, you had you know the different ways of communicating and passing that down before things were written, um, and how people kind of learned and continue. You know that's how we got to oh we created the tools and now we know that we can use the tool to now make it swords and like just passing that stuff down, um, and in how then eventually we we kind of moved into how do you take the um, the things that, uh, like the, the different industries, and like whether it be a blacksmith or whether it be a, a builder or you know those trade crafts, how do those pass on? And so we explore that. Um, you know, there's the mentorship, there's like the apprenticeship idea uh, that you know took on, and then there was you know the thing that kind of came out of the 1800s in France, uh, which ultimately led to um, what we kind of now view as like you're getting a master's in a craft, uh, the artisan, and now you become a master. Uh, which is also a master's degree. Like you follow that through, it's like, oh, that's why we, you know, have dissertations and such. Like, there's this way that's kind of processed that became like how you learn and how you pass it on, so that others can do it. Um, and so I explore that, and then recognizing that, you know, even at the end of the day, with all of the the apprenticeship and all the mentorship and all of that, um, you know, when you look at like all of the great civilizations, the Mayans and the Romans and the um, the Babylonians and, and all of these that had these great, just amazing advancements and all the things they created and all that, like it stopped with them and didn't come back until 
centuries later with another civilization. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, and what that ends up being is that it, if the systems aren't in place for that to transfer, mm. it's not going to. Yeah. And so that's where it was like kind of answering and, and not to give away the whole thing, but like answering is like, maybe maybe it's not maybe that kind of piece the apprenticeship and all that is maybe it's not going to save us as a civilization yeah but will it give us the leg up within our organizations and within our uh, own communities that we can help build better and, and keep the cultures along uh, cultures going within our teams and our organizations so that we can be healthy and pass that on and at least within our smaller groups yeah it's not going to probably help civilization but we can help our, our own groups. And so kind of explore that. And uh, it's fascinating to kind of, and I, I put out um, kind of a question as I, I dove into this and looked through different different things throughout history and asked questions on Twitter of like, hey, you know, what are some things you have from other, like what are your mentorship wins? What are your mentorship failures? What do you yeah. wish people knew? And, and so we explore a lot of those answers that come from people across the kind of spectrum that have been mentors or that have been mentees and it either worked really well or it, it failed miserably. And we talk about sponsorship too, like the difference between like being a mentor but all, or a sponsor. Yeah. And that there's a different role for them and that yep. how underrepresented groups are probably over-mentored and under-sponsored. Yeah. And so how we can take that and how we can move uh, from one to the other and, and exploring that and how that's really sponsorship is where we've now kind of got to get to. So we talk about this a lot. I mean, mentorship is really huge at, at this thought. We, I mean, I was lucky enough in my career to be able to have mentors at places I work just coincidentally. Um, and so it's a big part of everybody at our company has them. And I was thinking about this recently because, you know, sometimes uh, senior developers get a piece of feedback, usually indirectly. Somebody is asking for feedback about a senior developer and what they'll hear from a lot of their maybe mid and junior teammates is, they're just so talented. I watch them and I don't understand how they're able to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's like an ego boost for any senior that hears that. Like, wow, I'm really talented. But at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's a damning piece of praise because it means you haven't shown them how to do what you're doing. And I find that that's usually a sign. If you, if you start working with a team and they feel that way, that's great, that's inspiring. Yeah. But if you end a project working with those people and they're still saying that about you, you then you failed, failed because it, failed. none of it went over to them. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens too often. I it think. does. One of the things that I kind of touch on, one of the things that somebody had, um, had brought forward as some, some thoughts was like, you're, you're trying to help, um, you're not trying to like shape robots. You're trying to help them with decision making. And so like getting, like try and try to get around like the assumed knowledge they might have. Uh, and then understand the thought process they have, identify those gaps, and use those questions. Like question, like, hey, what would you do in this situation? Instead of, t excuse me, instead of telling them what to do, question it and do that. And then don't don't be afraid as a as a mentor to say, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that's okay. Yeah, we're gonna. You know what? We're gonna figure this out together. Yeah. I, I don't have the faintest clue. Yeah. So like, I, dive in. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Let's figure it out. And then, not just to like, okay, you go figure it out. I'm gonna figure it out. Or have them sitting next to you and you're just typing, tap, oh. tap away. You're you're just kind of thinking about it. it's. No, talk out loud. Describe what you're doing and where you're going to find the answer. Yes, it was probably Google, and that's okay. Every engineer does that. Um, but look and in, in have them as part of that whole process that you go through verbally. 
-hmm. verbalize everything you do so that they're able to see it and hear it and recognize, oh, okay. And, and then if you say, you know what, I just don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Ask them. Get them involved in that. So it's, it's changing the way, and, and you're absolutely correct. But at the end of the day, that's the, the thing. Hey, there, you know, you have failed. Because that's that should not be the case. Like you're you're ultimately trying to create a duplicate of yourself, uh, and even you're trying to create a better of yourself. Mm -hmm. let's, let's put it that way. Because it's not. We don't need you know 25 Jeremys running around. Um, God, everybody's yeah. Everybody <laughs> that hears this would be like, God. Um, but like you're not really trying to create robots. You're trying to create good decision makers and people that are able to solve these problems. And so uh, that was one thing that really kind of stood out in multiple kind of question, you know, answers I got from, from the Twitterverse for, for that. You know, it's funny too, because uh, Jesse and I are both parents. And I think one of the things that surprised me being a parent was that kids truly come with no firmware. Um, you, you think before you're a parent that like, I'm going to be a great parent. I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to explain what they need to do and how, and it's going to be just so easy. And then you realize like, they don't even know what the definition of is, is yeah. uh, they have no concepts. And even when they start to build on that, they can be so easily taken aback by failure. And so one of the things that, um, when I've been, I've been worse as a parent is present is a lot of. Uh, a, a lot of not blame but a, you know a lot of chastising you know better than this this type yeah. of stuff anything that sort of de-emphasizes or causes people to not or, or especially kill children to not try and to be afraid of failure is so corrosive because the like you're saying with this mentorship you really need people to try and then accept that feedback in order to have the most growth yeah um, you can only see so much by watching the teacher write it up on the chalkboard then you need to do the homework right we've yeah. all had that where it made sense on the board. You literally get to the first problem. You don't know where to start. Yeah. And, um, and so you need to try. But a big part of that is people have to be okay to be bad. Yeah. And they have to be comfortable being bad in front of you, which yep. isn't always the case. Yeah. One thing that we've kind of and in, in definitely have, have failed in many, in many times as in a parent. But one thing we've tried to instill is it's okay to fail. It's okay to make that mistake. But don't let that mistake be the next mistake. Yeah. And I think that transfers very well into as we kind of mentor and we kind of helping that, you know, whether it's the next generation or it's just that, that newer dev that's joining the team. Like, it's okay, but don't let, you know, RM hyphen F everything be <laughs> now you're going to do it again. Like, don't make that, let that mistake be the next mistake. It's a mistake. Yeah. Chances are we can fix it. But don't continue down that path. Learn from that, and let's not do that again. And so it's it, it's changing the way that we approach failure. As you know, chances are you're not going to really screw things up. And if I've put a um, a mentee or a, a new junior dev or an intern, if I put anybody, if there's if anybody in is in one in a position that one failure breaks everything. That's not their fault. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a that's problem with the yeah. system, yeah. and that should be fixed. Absolutely. And so it's it's recognizing where the problem really lies is is probably not there. Yeah. In my family, we have, you know, when when one of the kids fail or, or mess up on something, my follow up question, and they know this in in inertly, is what did you learn? Yeah. So you know, when one of the kids says, "Oh, I totally messed up on this thing," and I say, "Well." 
They said, I don't want to talk about what I learned right now. Like, it's so ingrained. Like, yeah. But it cakes. And I have to do this daily and daily and daily because it doesn't stick. Because there's 23 hours a day where they get failure is poor, failure is bad, failure is, you know. And, yep. and I go through this and, you know, I have, uh, you know, self, um, self-doubt and everything about failing on something. But it's like you just sort of have to like push through it and maybe baby steps uh, through it. And like, if your mentor isn't failing and on anything, you're not pushing them enough. Yeah. And if they're not failing, they're not, do, you haven't given them enough leeway or enough latitude. Yeah. Like if they're always winning, like how much, how much skill are you gaining? If everything I give you, you're just like, there you go, it's done, yep. done. You're just Absolutely. like, you gotta ratchet that up and find, it's, it's a balance to find the stretch and fail but not the colossal uh, removal of da- prod database, right? Yep. And it's a <laughs> yeah, it's an yeah. intangible thing to describe. And it's a very nuanced thing that I find difficult to document or articulate yep. other than just physically communicating and working to push like as, as, a, as a group, as a, as, a, as a human to human, as a person to person, just pushing, pushing, mm-hmm. pushing until like, ooh, too far, okay, yep. right? And then reel that back in, it's, it's, it's it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. Wonderful. Well, that is a, a great place to stop as any. I know we could just keep going on this topic mm-hmm. forever. Trust me. Uh, but we do have to cut it off here. So for people that are listening right now, where can they find you online? Um, and, and get Find you at the Marriott. In? That's right. Yeah, 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 chances are, just, probably at a Marriott near your local uh, <laughs> conference. Uh, yeah, you know, Marriott, go Marriott and, and Delta. That's Those are free. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can find me online. Uh, I am Jerdog on Twitter. Uh, I am also on kind of messing around with the whole Mastodon thing now. So you can find okay. me at Jerdog at Floss, F-L-O-S-S dot social. Uh, and then, you know, that's the first time I've actually used that. So Floss dot social sounds a little weird. But anyways, um, it's not for, you know, it's not a dental. Community. A lot of parents of teenagers, that's I right. think, are, like, yeah, are also please, yeah, please very into this. do some yeah. flossing. Uh, yeah, all dentists out there that might be listening are like, yeah. Anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, so yeah, you can find me. I am Jerdog on Twitter, uh, and then um, you can also, you know, I'm I'm all over LinkedIn and and such. So we'd love to love to chat. Well, wonderful. Well, that's going to be it for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web Podcast on CICD and mentoring. Thank you to our guest, Jeremy. As always, the conversation does not stop here. As you heard, you can find Jeremy on Twitter at. I am Jerdog, so that's I-A-M-J-E-R-D-O-G. And on Macedon, one more time. Uh, Jerdog at floss.social. There we go. Uh, For all your dental hygiene needs. Evidently, <laughs> yes. Or dancing. I or mean, dancing. There's a lot of people out there that, the, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're kids or they play. your flossing. I don't know. There we go. Your dance and hygiene. As for my co-host, where can they find you, Jesse? Uh, you can find me at uh, jtomshock, J-T-O-M-C-H-A-K. Uh, and I have not mastodoned yet, uh, but maybe I will floss. Maybe I'll join J-Dog at Jared <laughs> right. at... at uh, so check out his Twitter if you want to see video of, of, uh, of Jesse flossing. Uh, as for me, you can find me online at RoboCell. For the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. For all of your friends and you, for doing the
Come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.